And welcome to Ultimate. We dive, dive deep, yeah, deep dive, dive deep into Earth 1610, the Ultimate Marvel Universe. I am your host, Eddie. I am here with my co-host, Henry. The Ultimate Marvel line is a piece of Marvel comic book history with a bad reputation. Ultimate is here to see if that rep is justified. We're taking on 15 years of comic book history. Uh, brave, us, your brave host, will delve deep into what makes this alternate universe unique, from the good to the bad to the oh dear God, why? <laughs> How you doing, Henry? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm good. How's you reading? What have you been up to? Um, <clears throat> not too much. Uh, yeah, I think... I think, as, as all DC fans know, we're coming to the end of, of Night Terrors, so... <laughs> Uh, hopefully the, the comic drought is kind of, is nearly ending. You'll be able to pick like, pick up some actual books again. Yeah, that's true. What are you uh, most looking forward to on the other side of Night Terrors? Cyspiria's Flash. Flash. Apparently people are already, cause little preview review mm. copies are out. Uh, yep. people are comparing it to Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, etc. Wow. Talking to compare, all of them are com- kind of comparing it to, um, pre- like kind of like Vertigo. Yeah. Um, the, what they did with a lot of characters. Which is quite exciting, uh, especially as a Wally fan. I think, um, yeah, I think it's something where the last one I was very skeptical. Because when um, was it? Who was on the last one? Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy Adams. Adams yeah, which was brilliant. Um, but it will be. It sounds like it's going to be a worthy kind of follow up um, from what 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 I've been reading anyway. Yeah, I think it's sort of those ones where obviously it's that really difficult one when a when a run of a comic ends and then someone else picks it up mm. and. It's, and it's tough because, especially when that writer is really good, right? So it's the sort of thing of like when you go from Jeremy Adams to Cyspuria, like Cyspuria is fantastic, fantastic writer, but it's always going to have that little bit of apprehension of just like, oh, but I liked what yeah. they were doing in this previous one. <laughs> yeah, can't we have both? Um, but the previous, yeah, you, you didn't read the issue 800 one. No, I haven't. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of on a bit of a DC drought. At the moment, I just haven't. Yep. There's been nothing superly interesting and engaging. With nothing's me. come out for the past <laughs> two months. <laughs> yeah, well, I I just picked up. I did. I picked up, and I, I need to unwrap it. But I picked up um, Wonder Woman Historia, which I think is Kelly Thompson. So I might be. Yeah. I'll, if not, I'll fix that in edits. <laughs> um, but Wonder Woman Historia, which is like the story of the Amazons, it's probably got some of the best art I've seen on a comic in ages. Yeah. Um, and yeah, other than that, like I've just kind of kind of phased off I thought about getting Tom King's Wonder Woman book just because I I like Tom King and I think it was an interesting one but I think it just didn't quite hit my pull list because um because the fall of X happened yeah. <laughs> and all, all the X-Men books just kind of um got fantastic and I was just like cool I actually need to spend more time on these X-Men books than yeah and more money on my X- on the X-Men line than so it kind of cut everything else out a bit. Yeah, that one looks good. I read the issue 800, mm-hmm. uh, Wonder Woman, kind of, which had the story which was leading into it. It looks good. Um, I think, yeah, it looks good. Uh, but yeah, I guess you got a bit of time, though. I think it's <laughs> good that Fall of X is, is now. Um, yeah, there's not, not a hell of a lot else going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, it's one of the, or, and it's weird as certain things, like I'm, I think Jed Mackay has just started Avengers. And like an Avengers one, I think it's three, four issues in. And I read the first issue and I'll wait, I'll get it when it comes out in trades because it looks fantastic. Like, like the art looks really good. It looks like a proper kind of like cool Avengers book. Oh yeah. Um, and it's a really good lineup as well. But other than that, this, this, I think there's just a lot. I think Marvel's just, and I think the X-Men line, the X line so specifically has just been so good that it's just quite hard to like, I'm going to try something else. Trying to get, like, so my big ones I get, 
I'm getting like six of the 10 or eight Krakoa books, like Fall of X books and Black Panther. <laughs> yeah, I, I really need to get into the Fall of X stuff. I haven't had a chance to yet. Mm. Um, I've just, I guess, because uh, I kind of dropped off after after Hickman finished. Yeah. Um, and I, I borrowed X-Men Red off you, which was which I thought was excellent. But mm. it's one of those things where it's like, when you get off, you need to hop on. Yeah. And it's like, I am waiting for trades now because I don't really know what, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you might need to help me where I need to start oh, definitely, yeah. again, <laughs> where I need to, what books I need to start and where I need to start. Cause, cause I do want to, mm. like, it sounds really good. I think it's been good because there's certain, there's certain writers like Al Ewing, like, so X-Men Red, like, was preceded by Sword. So I think it's a certain thing where some books, they have been relatively consistent and I've had a writer all the way through. So it's like Al, Al Ewing wrote Sword and then Sword flows into X-Men Red. Cyspiria wrote, um, I can't remember what it was called, Way of X. And yeah. then Way of X leads into Legion of X, which is, so, and that's the kind of Nightcrawler book, the focus book. Mm. Um, same thing with like Teeny Howard and like Excalibur and Knights of X and then Captain Britain, which is like, I think that's one of the ones that is probably a little bit weaker, but also it's just, it's still good. Like I like, it's one of those books that's just like, there's not really a bad book in the Krakoan age. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, that is something that I, which I do need to jump onto. It does seem that things will start picking up, but then I guess then it's Christmas and then things kind of <laughs> shut down for December, November, eh? Yeah. Like, oh, November's not too November, bad, but December's get, yeah, kind December of dead. Because it's, it's usually like a release day, like a comic release day on Christmas. I feel like consistently, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel I'm pretty sure the release day for comics is Christmas this year. So we're definitely yeah. not getting anything. No, not for like December. another month. But yeah, no, um, and it's, <laughs> actually the other thing, and it kind of segues into our episode today on the Ultimates, I, I cracked and I finally read the first two issues of Ultimate Invasion. Mm. And I guess like for a bit of context as to why Henry and I jump, like decided to kind of look at this podcast now was that like the Ultimate Universe ran for kind of 15 years. And then intermittently after that, there's been bits where it's cropped up again. But just like two months ago, we um, Jonathan Hickman, who is the kind of mastermind behind the massive like revamp of the X Men over the last five years, or was you know was the mastermind behind that for a long time, and wrote a fantastic Avengers run as well. Jonathan Hickman decided he wanted to do a book called Ultimate Invasion, which is reintroducing and reestablishing the Ultimate Marvel universe. And so far, the first two issues are very very much kind of set up and world building stuff mm. it is really good so far i'm really excited to see what happens and the, it's four issues of this book series ultimate invasion and then ultimate universe number one which is essentially they've kind of framed it as you know in the same way that ultimates and ultimate marvel when it first comes out is very much and especially the miller stuff is a very much reflection of you know the political climate and the social and, and like the political and social entertainment kind of climate of the early 2000s it's trying to redo that and not re necessarily redo that, but like essentially reframe the ultimate universe as I guess, drawing on the political and social and economic influences of now, which is a very kind of like heavy kind of topic and probably thing to deal with. But I'm really excited to see how that turns out as well. But I, I guess that's part of why we wanted to do the podcast. It was also just like the ultimate universe has kind of have, it's kind of been reestablished. It's on, it's, it's coming back. What better time, to go back and start unpacking that 15 years of history that precedes it. 
Yeah, I think that's that's a, that's a good point. I am quite excited to read that. Um, I did miss it just because of the price point of per issue. Mm. So I'm a little bit like, I'll either borrow it off you or wait for a trade. Yeah, it's one of the few things where like, I don't know how appropriate the price point is. Like, I feel like, I think the issues are slightly bigger, but not noticeably, noticeably bigger. Yeah. Cause that's it's like, how it is. Because how much is this? Like 999 um, USD? USD is about right? 20 bucks an issue. Yeah, that is quite a lot. Yeah, I think it's one of those ones where it's, it, it is interesting, though, when you talk about Jonathan Hickman, though, because obviously yeah. Jonathan Hickman's big thing is he has all these big infographic pages and what sort of thing. Not very many of that. It's a really weird one of just like like a break in the Hickman style. It, it'll, it's not like a big one, like a, like a negative thing, but it's just quite funny to like having read a lot of Jonathan Hickman's work over the last couple of years, being like, oh, this like consistent part of Jonathan Hickman's kind of work yeah. isn't here anymore. <laughs> Yeah, that that is interesting. I am looking forward to jumping on that, but I guess I guess we are on to ultimates today, though, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, kind of first things first. I, I want to mention there was something that I read. I read it before ultimates, mm-hmm. so um, I read ultimates for the first time earlier this year. Yeah. No, or end of last year. End of last year. Yeah, I think it was end of last year. Um, and before that, I read Authority. Um, by Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch, who is half of the creative team Mm. behind Ultimates. Um, And yeah, that that, that is something which I think we could start off kind of talk about the comparisons there, because I I know that we both had, we both kind of read it at the same time, didn't we? Yeah, we read it around, I think, so the authority and Ultimates kind of set out with a similar kind of goal, which is almost revamping like a superhero story for like a, not necessarily a modern audience, but for like a contemporary kind of political climate, or even just, I don't even know if it's a political climate, but a like contemporary kind of climate. So that's when people always talk, and that's so, I'll let you start, let's start off with your kind of thoughts on the authority. So the authority, what's the background on the authority as well? Like it's kind of a DC kind of wild, was it Vertigo? Yeah, um, no, it was was Wildstorm, it's, I mean, like it is that DC thing because they they bought ABC, didn't they? Mm. America's Best Comics. They bought America's Best Comics, and it's still like a subline. But it was one of those things where um, I got into it because I I'm part of a kind of Morrison page, Grant Morrison page. Mm-hmm. I was a big Grant Morrison fan, um, and there's a big quote where he talks about how impressed he was with the Authority because mm. it came out in like 2000. Yeah. Yeah. So it came out in 2000 and it is. Was some, it 99? It's 99 to 2000, I yeah. think. So it's around that era. So it's pretty much like kind of, you know, this is a bold new kind of team. And it, it is one of those things where what I loved about it was kind of is edgy and kind of interesting. It mm. does feel very modern because it's insane. I must have been insane to. It's a little bit like Citizen Kane, as in Citizen Kane is a thing which changed the language of cinema, right? Yeah. Where if you watch it now, there's very modern cinema techniques, but like, because it wasn't financially successful, it like it must have been weird to. Yeah. It must have been weird at the time being a, a cineast or someone who's big into cinema to watch Citizen Kane and then for another like 10 years go back to the kind of old fashioned filmmaking mm. <laughs> where it's just like, here's the camera and people walk in front of it and talk, yeah. which is fine. But um, it's a little bit like that where um, we were talking about, you know, when we were talking about Ultimate Spider-Man, mm. right? Ultimate Spider-Man looks like a, f- a comic book that came out in 2000. Yeah. And a lot of comic books do look like, if you read ones, they look very like 90s and yeah. there's very chunky and like that. But the Brian Hitch art in... Um, the authority the and, th- then, and then in ultimates as well yeah which is why it's 
it's impressive because I think it's the same thing in the mid 2000s. Mm. Like art did look kind of like, kind of like in um, Ultimate Fantastic Four. Yeah. Um, so it's really, really interesting where like, it it's a comic book that does feel modern. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's something which, which I think goes really well because it's that kind of team, you know, here's, here's this uh, superhero team and here's one for the new day, like the new century. The new, yeah. And I think that, this and Ultimates kind of do the same thing. And Brian Hitch again brings his A game mm. where like you read it and I'm literally like the first issue where it's like raining um, as we, we're just about to go into it, but it's like raining in like, um, you know, in the second world war yeah. and everything. And it like, I, you could have told me this came out five years ago and I would yeah. have believed you. Yeah. <laughs> See, so my thoughts on the authority is again, the art was definitely like a big takeaway. Like it is gorgeous art and mm. Brian, Brian Hitch is fantastic. Narratively, though, I find I found it quite hollow. Like, I didn't find it interesting. I don't think it's set up. And again, maybe that's, and that's what I find, because it's probably that sort of thing of you're trying to do something different for the new millennium. You're trying to revamp this yeah. kind of style. And I just didn't find it actually that interesting. But then in the same way that I think, and that might just be because I didn't have a particular affinity or I hadn't, I hadn't, read much of Stormwatch or the or any of the Wildstorm stuff that predates it, even though if that was quite different tonally. But I think in the same way Ultimates where it's like, okay, it's the Avengers. I know vaguely who the Avengers are and I have an idea of those stories in a way that I think Ultimates kind of does better in my mind because because it feels like I know the context of how this of how these characters fit together and how these characters look together. Whereas with the authority even though I think they share a lot of the same stylistic, even when between Warren Ellis and Mark Miller's writing, I think they just, something about the authority just kind of doesn't click for me. Yeah. See, for me, I think it's, uh, so I came in exactly the same as you. I don't really know them. I know vaguely that, that like Midnighter is gay Batman. Like that's yeah, it that's like, <laughs> in the community in comic book community. That's, that's what he's known as. Yeah. Like, he's badass. He's cool. Um, and that they're, and also that his, husband or partner i'm not sure if they're married yet uh is apollo mm. uh and he's a bit like superman like that's kind of it right yeah. i kind of i loved it i think they were very comparable because um i think that warren ellis just like mark miller in this really knows how to write like really really off the wall like bigger than life epic mm. scale um storylines that where there's a lot going on but yeah. you can follow it and you're just with it for the ride and i think yeah like you can do really generic, boring action in comics, right? Mm. You, there's a lot of comic books that it's like, oh, someone punches someone and blah, blah, blah. But this mm. one's like, it's insane. Like it's really, really big. There's, was it the one with um, the British Empire kind of like... Well, gets taken over by some like alternate dimensional kind of aliens or whatever. Yeah. And then they, then that alternate reality invades another, starts invading the multiverse and that sort of thing. Yeah. Like... It's just like off the walls. Does it reminds me of uh, mm. Grant Morrison's JLA, um, but like more action focused. Yeah. And then I think Ultimates is similar where you'll probably notice, I think listeners will probably notice that the summaries are shorter in this one than they would be previously. Because I think that Ultimates is another interesting one where it's, the pacing's really, really good. Like, I love that. I actually genuinely mm. think it's one of the, my favorite comic books. Well, like we think about the first issue and yeah. the first issue is pretty much entirely the Captain America origin yeah. story. Yeah. And it's, you know, this one, essentially, it, it, like I said, it feels quite cinematic. 
Like it feels like this is just like, I can imagine this in like, you know, a Band of Brothers or a 1917 style, you know, this this is the chunk of the movie. This is like, it just takes that kind of action sequence and you could essentially, I reckon you could just storyboard it. <laughs> oh, 100%. I kind of like wish Captain America First Avenger was more like that. Mm. Um, I think that it's one of those things where, um, yeah, and also there'll probably be more stuff with the MCU in here that we'll talk about. But it is, I think, like authority. I think there's more subtext, but the subtext you kind of have to, with the nature of the characters that you're talking about mm. and the, the baggage that they bring and post 9-11. Yeah. What, and post-invasion of Iraq more specifically. This is pre... Um, authority is kind of different, I think. doesn't have a lot of that subtext because, number one, they're kind of more international... Um, more international than than the Avengers, and um, it's pre nine eleven yeah. and pre uh, invasion Rock of Iraq. Yeah. So it's it's very um, yeah. I guess it's also like time period. So it might yeah, have that's been true. Yeah. No, I hadn't. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. Like, yeah, because I think I think the only thing I remember there was a couple of pages, and I think they were like again some of the big action sequences. Where I looked at this, and you know, it's the sort of thing where you. <laughs> Brian Hitch has drawn something fantastically and the di- like Warren Ellis' dialogue has said, oh, this is what's happening. And I look at it and go, I don't, I don't see it, I don't get it. Like, I just don't know what I'm looking at and it doesn't quite line up. But again, that might just be me and it might just be I need to go have another read-through of it. Cause yeah. <laughs> I would like to do another read-through of it. I really, no, I really enjoyed it. Mm. I, I also, I thought they were all interesting powers and I thought they were, um, they, uh, yeah, Brian Hitch, I think, knows how to do an action scene. Yeah. And I think that I, yeah, the pacing is, Warren Ellis is either very good, uh, it's a bit like I've read his planetary recently. And like, I think, I think Mark Miller in this kind of channels, in Ultimates, channels um, a little bit of Warren Ellis and a little bit of, um, oh, 100%. a little bit of Garth Ennis. Oh, more than a little bit of Garthiness, actually. <laughs> a good, nice dose of Garthiness. Yeah, because, I mean, historical context, geopolitics, yeah. like, which is Garthiness's bag. If you told me, if I read Ultimates and, I, and you told me it was Garthiness and I didn't know it was Mark Miller, mm. I would have believed you, like, 100%. Actually, that'd be, that'd be quite cool to see. I, I wish Garthiness actually had done a couple of issues for something in the Ultimate Marvel Universe because I reckon he would have done he would have loved it yeah 100% he would have loved it it's like um, Ultimates 2 I think specifically feels it goes less a little like I think um, the first two I think the first two feel more Warren Ellis and Garth Ennis mm-hmm. but so the first two volumes and then Ultimates 2 I think feels more Garth Ennis because yeah. it gets far more political far more nihilistic especially mm. the second volume <laughs> um, oh man it's so good yeah, genuinely, I think I'll just say off the bat. I know Ultimates is very, very controversial, but I think it's one of my favorite comic books. Mm. Genuinely, and I don't like the Avengers. <laughs> I genuinely find them dull. Like I don't like the Avengers, but I, I loved, mm. I loved it. I think Ultimates. Yeah, is there's, great. there's something about this that I, I think, yeah, it, it was nice going back and being like, it's simultaneously something that's quite simple and good to understand, but also really like fun and in depth if you want to look at it that way mm. as well like <laughs> oh 100% i think um just as we're going into general thoughts before we go into the summary i just want to say like it's one of those things where i was thinking about is it do i really love this because i don't have that connection to the avengers these mm. characters than i would if say it was a dc thing yeah. say it was the oh, the just maybe not the justly just league um uh, who's who's another kind of uh, who's another team for the sake of being a team for DC? 
Um, outsiders. Outsiders, yeah. yeah. Outsiders or something like that. Um, and I'm like, I'm like looking at it. I'm like, no, actually, I probably would really like it because I like new interpretations. Like I love Superman, for example. Mm. But there's a lot of people that don't like if you stray too far from Superman. Then, like, say you could do that with Batman. But yeah. I think. I think if they did this, if it was DC, I still would have loved it. I think that it's just really good writing. Well, I, I, actually, no, I, th- I think the comparable thing for this would be the Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah. Like the Suicide Squad, like, I think a lot of Suicide Squad things touch on the geopolitics of it, but without really going. And like James Gunn, the Suicide Squad, the second Suicide Squad movie, yeah, that was good. definitely kind of has that sort of thing where you look at, okay, here's what... Here's, here's the geopolitics of superhumans and here's the geopolitics of all this kind of super shit. And I, I would really like to see, like, I think the Suicide Squad would be probably the easiest one to adapt to an Ultimates style. Yeah, I think I think also um, the Ultimates does kind of change the characters a mm. lot. Um, I think in a good way. I think in the political climate and political context, I don't think you could do a comic, like a, Captain America. I think I know there's Brubacker's stuff that was going on. I mm. think, or maybe it was slightly after. Um, it must have been slightly after. I think it was more late noughties. But um, but I do think it's one of those things where I do think he needed to be updated because mm. I think if you're doing like a real world kind of thing and you're doing Captain America, you're going to have to touch on like America, American like uh, like American military. Yeah, military cult. Well, that, yeah. and that's the thing that you I have would- to. And I think there's there's an I think we'll get into it when we get we because we're gonna, we do the second volume of Ultimates and especially when we get into Ultimates two I think there was a, I read an article that was talking about I guess the trend and how post nine eleven shapes comics and in shapes like the political discourses and this is the sort of thing where I one and one take was it was along the lines of like superheroes are kind of a what's what, what's the word they're almost like a um, oh, it's like they were kind of talk about how they kind of like super comics became much more pessimistic. Mm. So like following on from 9-11, like quite soon after you had Brian Michael Bendis' Avengers Disassembled, um, House of M, so Scarlet with the stories where Scarlet Witch goes crazy, kills a whole bunch of Avengers and rewrites reality. You get Civil War and it's almost someone was looking at this idea of, I guess it's a sort of thing about America's future and this idea that comics are often always, and especially America, because because it's that weird thing of like comics and superhero comics, but these, they're these global ideas that there's like superheroes, you know, the Justice League and the Avengers are these kind of international groups, but they live in America, right? Yeah. And I think that was something that someone talked about was what Ultimates does is instead of looking at a lot of things through the lens of here are threats to America, it looks at America as the threat to the world. And I think that's how it kind of, that's one of the weird things that I think makes Ultimates, not one of the weird things, but that's one of the things that makes Ultimates kind of look distinct from, look distinct from kind of the comics that were around it. Yeah, I think also um, this is something I, 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 th- I was thinking about is, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of media where, especially I think pre and post 9-11, mm. but there's a lot of stuff that was, I mean, pre and post invasion of Iraq more. Mm, yeah. Pre 9-11, post invasion of Iraq, there were a lot of um, things that are about, like, if you had superpowers, you're a superhero. Mm. You were worried about being captured and dissected. Yeah. 
Or if you're an alien and you were worried that you'd be captured, you know, all these kind of yeah. things. I think this is kind of the one where it's like, this is on the other side. Like, this is the... Um, the people who are like, we want superpowers so we can catch them. We, we want to catch people so we can result. catch and dissect them. And, yeah, we want this militarized. We want this... Yeah, superheroes to be militarized. And mm. this is kind of like... I think this is the result of, like, what this is what it is. Because it's like, what's his name? Captain America. His whole thing, his whole deal is so... into. It's so interwoven with the military-industrial complex. Like, mm. that's his whole thing. And it's like these are these heroes are made by the military industrial complex, yeah. the American military industrial complex, and and everything. And these and it's kind of like why would they be there? You know, it kind of get a little bit of it's a little. We see a little bit of it in this volume. Mm. It, we'll probably go more into it in the next, like in uh yeah. Then when we kind of cover uh, the second volume and Ultimates Two is, I think, when yeah. we, the stuff really, really becomes very clear. Yeah, and I think that I think that's interesting because it's always mm. kind of been there. Same with the Hulk, right? The, the villains are often the military, yeah. the American military. The the villains, you know, like Red Hulk and everything. Yeah, they want to capture him. They want to do this. They want to do that. Or, or Iron Man. There's the whole stuff with, but this one's kind of like, what? It, more realistically, now nah, they have it. They have this stuff, <laughs> and they are going to try and create a team mm. to kind of like further their their kind of. Um, like foreign well, policy and security yeah, exactly. agendas, right? Yeah. But anyway, should we should we get into the? Yeah, well, actually, the, the one one thing I wanted to point before that, yeah. when we're talking about that kind of idea of like that superhero fear of, and that kind of, I think the mainline Marvel universe, the closest it probably gets to that is Civil War, where oh, essentially yeah. the civil like the Civil War event becomes again Mark Miller. Do we do we kind of militarize or not actually militarize, but yeah, no, essentially, do we militarize and kind of bring superhumans under government control? Or is this system of like vigilantes and I guess trusting in the goodness and trusting that sort of thing, is this the best, better system? And yeah, same thing, it's it's Mark Miller, but it, I think it's that sort of thing where obviously with that, that tension doesn't get resolved in a way that like it does. There's not like a clear political stance like Ultimates has. Yeah. But, I th and I think that's to me is the difference between doing something like Ultimates as an alternate universe Versus doing that within the mainline Marvel universe. Yeah, I think also you he does have to you have to fundamentally change a lot of these characters, which mm. I think like this isn't the Captain America from the main Marvel universe. This is mm. kind of a more realistic depiction of him. Yeah. He's not he's somewhere in between what we see there and you know what we see in the main MU and also um, like Soldier Boy. Like he's in between, which would be more realistic. He wouldn't be as cartoonish, but he would be kind of, you know, Republican, likely Republican, yeah. you know, more Mitt Romney slash um, Dick John. Cheney. Oh, no, John McCain. Yeah. John McCain is who he was based on. Yeah, that kind of like right wing pro military stuff. But like he's not, you know, comic comically. Mm. He's not the he's not a caricature of it. it but it's yeah, it's interesting. So you take you take those ideas. You take those kind of that, that upbringing. You take that. Yeah, the things that create someone along that kind of end of the political spectrum and then you embody them. A hundred percent. I mean, you have to think his upbringing is very, um, like if you, if you were brought up during the second world war mm. and if you were in the, in the army, if you, all this kind of stuff, fair enough. Cause you're fighting the Nazis, but you would be very, America is good. America, you know, the military is good. That that would be your mentality. He missed Vietnam, for yeah. example, he missed all this stuff. So he has come in, very pro-military, very pro, and had those kind of old old values, which mm. I think is 
is interesting. Um, Should we, we we can get into this a bit when we yeah. when we get further in. <laughs> no, sounds good. Um, do you want to start off? Yep. So issue one of the Ultimates. So Ultimates is written by Mark Miller and drawn by Brian Hitch. Fantastic lineup. <laughs> okay, so issue one opens over the North Atlantic Ocean in 1945. Um, oh. Yeah, and an aerial squadron of American planes assault a secret fortified German facility in Iceland containing a prototype nuclear intercontinental ballistic missile um, that would end the war in the Axis powers' favour. Among the soldiers that participate in the battle are Bucky Barnes, a soldier and photographer, and the government-sponsored hero Captain America. A single and experienced soldier named Kowalski is sceptical of Captain America, being like being an actual like super soldier, like an actual hero, and kind of sees him more as like a propaganda figure for recruitment centers. Um, upon the assault of the facility, the American forces are held back by the, um, the Nazis' defenses, during which Kowalski is wounded and then helped by Bucky. Um, the battle eventually turns in the Americans' favor as Captain America flies a bomber into the facility's uh, entrance and takes out all the German offenders, uh, defenders. Uh, after this, Captain America leads the Americans through the facility and reaches the missile, which is primed to hit Washington, D.C. Um, it's launched, forcing Captain America to jump and cling onto the missile as it flies over the Atlantic. In a radio contact with Bucky, Captain America explains that he will disrupt the missile off course as he pulls a grenade and damages the missile's propulsion jets. Um, the missile then explodes <laughs> midair. Um, as an inner monologue, Captain, as he's kind of falling through the sky, Captain America kind of reads out his like last letter to his fiance Gail, promising to her that even if he died, um, he will like their love for each other will live on. And then the scene shifts to a really somber Bucky Barnes and other American soldiers who believe Captain America is dead. And it issue oh, and then it, the Captain America portion of the story closes with his body plunging into the depths of the ocean. And then the issue closes on Mount Everest in 2002, where Tony Starks and his colleagues are climbing. Uh, Tony relates to others that he has a new plan um, going forward when he returns to New York City. Yeah. I think what's interesting here is uh, I'm curious because I'm not a big Marvel fan, mm. especially like the Avengers or any of those characters. So is was up to this point was... Captain America, because I understand that Marvel never had that kind of crisis on infinite Earths kind of thing with like big kind of resets. Mm. Was Captain was Captain America? Um, did he have that whole origin where where did they retell it with him kind of cr crashing and being under ice, I or is this the first time? I don't quite know. Like, so I don't know in the forties if it ended like that. I mean, but, it wouldn't. So yeah. So I yeah. guess what happened is then when when they brought him into the Avengers, what they did is yeah. So when they brought him into the Avengers, they must have had that. That's what happened. Like this is how Captain America's disappeared and been found again. But although, like, if they're bringing like that's not even that like the sixties is only fifteen years after the Second World War. Mm. Like, there's not that much of a time gap. He could have been thirty something or forty. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's kind of <laughs> believable. Do you do you know what I mean that he. Yeah, it's, so it's, would it's it just actually, carry on? It's actually one of those things that I guess when you think about like Marvel and the sliding timescale makes more sense now where it's like, oh, that actually kind of, um, that makes more sense. Okay, someone crashed in 1945 and has been frozen and yeah. wakes up in 2020 or 2023. Yeah. That actually would be quite a different kind of, well, yeah, 2000, not, yeah. But if, I think what they kind of subsequently did 
through Marvel is that what they chose to do is they decided to, I think the approach they took was they decided to scaffold in that after Captain America disappears, the US government is desperately trying to fill that void mm. and fill that gap. And so, and which I think is interesting because then what it means is that then you get different Captain Americas for things like the Korean War or you get like the yeah, Captain America who was around during Vietnam or that sort of thing, which obviously is weird because Captain America, when he wakes up, Vietnam is still happening. Yeah, no, that's, that's what I think is, um, well, even then it's only like 30 years after. Yeah. <laughs> because I think if you're talking the 70s or even the 60s, it's only 20 years after. So I think it's one of those things where I am curious if this is the first time we saw this. Because it, we've not, yeah, I, unless they had like an origin, because he's not a big enough character to mm. have kind of big origins. Because I mean, the only I, time we, it would I be guess a bit they would have done some kind of what if stories would be the only other one I think you'd probably see differences on that. Like, yeah. what if Captain America wasn't frozen? Because <laughs> then you'd think like 80s, I think 80s and 90s, it's starting to get, he would have been starting to get a bit old mm. compared, but... <laughs> But it is, no, that, it is interesting because it is something that, that I was thinking about, especially with that kind of Marvel uh, MCU influence that mm. Ultimates, I mean, Ultimates, but the Ultimate Universe did have. I am curious if if they pulled that from this or if it's a, kind of a traditional thing before this. I, I think it's probably... Established. Probably like the, the MCU, probably, I think this and probably the MCU are probably the first ones where it's been really noticeable. Yeah. And I guess it probably does make sense because of the amount of time that has passed. Yeah, but, starting anew. Because yeah. then it kind of creates, if it was in the main MCU before this, it kind of creates some continuity mm. errors because you kind of would have to restart at that point. Yeah. Because, um, well, what about all the tales before, right? That mm. They're probably leading on. So it's just something I was thinking about. Because <laughs> um, it's, yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, to just to get into it, talking about the MCU. So we see, we kind of open up, kind of introducing for the first time Bruce Banner and Nick Fury. Um, again, clearly Nick Fury here is is based on Samuel Jackson. I'm pretty sure, I might be wrong. So it's one of those weird ones and it comes up in a later issue where they talk about and Nick Fury goes like, who's going to play the Ultimates in the movie? And Nick Fury goes, yeah. Samuel Jackson. But there are some panels you go through the Ultimates and Ultimates 2 and like it's very clearly that Brian Hitch just copied a picture of Nick of Samuel L. Jackson. Like it is Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that he might have sued them for I might be wrong, but I, I think them was or he at least raised some concerns about them using his likeness. Yeah, but to be fair, they were at the time, they were kind of he was casting like Mark Miller because mm. cause this was Ultimates, which is ironic kind of works. But Ultimates um, and the Ultimate Universe, you know, that that he was doing, that Mark Miller was doing, especially Ultimates, he wanted to kind of like cast them as if they were in the movies because mm. he was just thinking, what would we do? Um, I guess it also makes sense when you think about like the first kind of 12 issues are called Ultimates and the second 12 issues is called Ultimates 2. Like it mm. does take that kind of cinematic kind yeah, of approach, 100%. right? Mm. But anyway, just just get into it. So, <laughs> so while Bruce Banner and Nick Fury have dinner, um, Banner says he has not had a trace of any Hulk sales for the past three months. Agent Fury tells Banner that the president is funding his super soldier program with $50 billion. Uh, Nick also says that due to the rise in super crime, S.H.I.E.L.D. is working on creating a superhuman unit 
for dealing with 21st century problems? I think that we touched on this a little bit before. We were talking about how pretty much every character in Ultimates, aside from Thor... Yeah, definitely is, not Thor, yeah. And oh, Thor and then in the second volume, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver... They, uh, they pop up in this too. Yeah. Yeah. Are they explicitly can... tied to the military-industrial complex. They are all... Like Captain America's military, obviously Captain because it's like military. Tony Stark's the arms dealer. Um, Hulk, Wasp, and Giant Man are all researchers. Yeah, in these superhuman weapons programs, essentially. Yeah, which is really interesting. I think um, is it is it Volume Two, uh, Quicksilver and. Yeah, 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 volume two. I do love that gag where they're just like, yeah, we did everything. You just didn't see me. And then we actually see him do that in The Ultimates 2, which yeah. is really funny. Um, but yeah, so I think, yeah, it is true. I think I think there is that kind of superhumans as a superheroes as a deterrent to the kind mm. of talking about that with weapons of mass destruction and everything. Um, yeah, the, the, there are references to Magneto, isn't there? Yeah, so throughout, so essentially, so this is when we're talking about Ultimate X Men, the first wave of Ultimate X Men. And again, obviously, because it's Miller, like these drawn on that. But I think that kind of, I actually do quite like that because mm. you, it sets this yeah, kind of too. precedent of going, this is the threat that, ultimate, that the Ultimates are kind of trying to deal with or trying to address. And I guess, so in this case, I guess the implication is that Magneto's attack is kind of the 9-11 style event, um, which I think I think works. Like, I think works quite mm. well. And, and I guess it kind of does this sort of idea and they talk about, but I think at another level, people there was a point where people talking about where he talks about, you know, crimes become super crime, terrorism becomes super terrorism. And there's a really interesting point saying, like, again, that kind of reflects that similar, that kind of post 9-11 shift to being like, okay, like 9-11 reconfigures what terrorism looks like. Like, because up to that point, like, the, to be honest, the US up to that point probably had more in the way of domestic terrorists, like the Unabomber, um, some of like the kind of like the left, like far left guerrilla groups that sprung up. Terrorism was probably much more defined by that than the, as opposed to post 9-11, when like that image of what terrorism is changes massively. Yeah. Um, so continuing, uh, so meanwhile... Uh, we, we kind of shift to the super soldier research facility of what you were previously mentioning. Hank Pym and uh, Janet Pym uh, are kind of like, they're just showing how uh, he is using ants to help him move out of the building and make coffee. Mm. Um, yeah, and uh, Iron Man, uh, we kind of see Iron Man for the first time, so testing his armor by flying over the streets of Manhattan. Uh, after the te the test run, Tony Stark talks to, talks with Nick Fury about his new uh, superhuman team, and Tony agrees to join the team. Uh, Banner, so we kind of see now we, we jump to Banner uh, moving to a new super soldier kind of research facility in Manhattan where he witnesses Hank Pym using Pym particles to grow himself to the size of 60 feet at most. Um, Bruce Banner starts to get Hulk flashbacks as he is stressed to the end of the rope, like uh, until Nick Fury tells him that they found Steve Rogers. So I guess this issue is really kind of bringing together the team. Mm. Um, it's that kind of first act. Yeah, and I yeah. guess I guess the context of that final section is very much that the Pims and Bruce Banner and Banner are essentially trying to recreate the Super Soldier Serum. 
And I think that's the sort of thing where they, they make the super soldier serum a very significant part of the ultimate kind of origin story. And, and this, and I think it spreads across the other books as well is the idea that Captain America gets, is becomes a super soldier disappears. And then everything kind of after that is trying to, and, and it becomes this consistent point where, so the ultimates eventually reveals that mutants are not the next stage in human evolution, but are instead almost akin to like a superhuman virus almost like it's a, it's a genetically altering kind of virus almost and the idea is that that comes about because people were trying to recreate the superhuman serum the super soldier serum yeah and i think that that's a kind of really interesting kind of dynamic because everybody's just trying to come at it from different angles it's like how do we build the how do we essentially build how do we build super powers into our military structures yeah, which I think is is fascinating. I think, um, yeah, especially as someone who's not um, a, a Captain America fan at all, mm. um, it does make it interesting, like kind of centering him, like a little bit more, making him important mm. without it really being about him. But but kind of like the whole super soldier thing is so important in the ultimates in the kind of ultimate universe mm. and centering it on that in like a smart way. Yeah, and I think it also. I guess when we talk about things like a bit more realistic as well, like it makes sense because Captain America is like, because I guess it's like, it is trying to look at how do we amp up our military bases? Like the idea becomes how do we convert the entire U S military, every soldier in the U S military, give them the super soldier serum. Mm. And it's that sort of thing where it's like, it's that not this kind of, I guess it, it makes sense as to like what they want to create, what the end product is. I think the other thing before we go on to issue three is the one thing I really like is the Pym particle thing about he how Hank Pym can only grow up to 60 feet. Mm. And that's the whole, um, what's the called? I can't remember what the, the physics law is, but it's that sort of thing where it's like that is the maximum amount of size that I think someone, like a person could theoretically be yeah. before it and like their heart be able to circulate body their blood to their body properly. It's like some... Or, I can't remember exactly what the physic, what it's called, but it's like, I guess it's the idea of like, that is the maximum size that someone could theoretically, or something could theoretically be on land. I think that's what any living land creature could, that's the kind of maximum size it could reach before its body can't support its weight. Yeah. In, in, in our modern atmospheres, essentially. <laughs> no, I did find that, that whole stuff interesting. I think, um, yeah, I think that especially the whole stuff with the research, uh, the fact that Giant Man and Hulk are both kind of, they're both making, trying to make super soldier serums mm. and making something else, you know, accidentally making something else or yeah. side effects. And it's kind of interesting. Sort of thing, like it's interesting introducing Bruce Banner where the Hulk's already been a thing like it's, but yeah. it's like, but it's, it's just this kind of thing that's happened before, but you don't get any context beside he's become the Hulk before. There's not really anything... Also, I love that whole thing. It's like what we're talking about with the military. Mm. I love the fact that he's part of the military industrial complex. And the whole thing previously, like with the Hulk, is often he's running away or hiding from the military because mm. they're trying to get his stuff. It makes sense because it's like, why would he be researching it to be for the military? He would be like, why would you be? I know that they give, often give other reasons, like he's trying to cure cancer or he's trying to cure something. And then that's how he does it. That's usually what they mm. give. But I do think it makes more sense that he is making something 
that is going to be kind of like a weapon to weaponize yeah. his body. And why would he be doing that? Because he'd be doing it for the military. Mm. So I do think that's interesting that instead of him running away from the military as a part of it, it goes wrong, but he's, but like, you know, it's one of those things, but he is part of the military. You, you know what I mean? Like he is part of that kind of, mm. he's a researcher. So he's not running. It's interesting that it's kind of a twist on it. Like he's not running away from, uh, who's the guy in you, General Ross? Yeah, Thunderbolt Ross. Yeah, yeah Thunderbolt <laughs> Ross. He's usually r running away from him and he's running away from the military. But in this, it's like, nah, he's not running away from it. He is a part of it. Mm. I think that's he's like, an interesting yeah, It's twist. a driving kind of force. <laughs> also makes more sense. Yeah. Cool. So issue three begins with Hank Pym trying out his new giant man suit. Um, because obviously, like all the superhero things, it's always the idea of when they grow. Um, when you know when the, if you've got a shape or someone who can size like size or shape and then they grow big and they they tear all their clothes off sort of, yeah. sort of thing. Um, so as Hank Pym tries out his new giant man suit, um, his wife Janet comes over to give him um, the news that Captain America's been found alive. Um, yeah, Steve Rogers is confused as to where and when he is. Um, Nick Fury gives him the news that he has been out of commission for fifty seven years. Um, <laughs> Captain America takes this in a very kind of like. I guess predictable way, and Tax Fury breaks his nose and escapes his um, shield facility. Isn't there that that very? Is it is it this issue, this bit here, where there's that bit where he's like, there's there's no there's no black man that's high. yeah, there's no there's no black man higher than a captain in like the U.S. military. Or yeah, <laughs> which I found I found that quite funny. I think it's the sort of thing, and it is it always is this kind of line you have to walk, especially I think I think. It would have been very easy to make Captain America like a vicious racist and a mm. vicious homophobe and all that sort of thing in a way where, whereas like, in, in a way that was probably at, to a degree accurate to some people, yeah. but also in the 1940s, but also not necessarily like the baseline of what interaction was. No. So I think that, I think this was a good way of actually kind of touching on that. Okay, cool. Like, this is the military history and that's the context he's coming from. But it's not like, it's not necessarily, it's, it's a way of sitting there. This kind of, it's like a way of showcasing how the way he's outdated without necessarily making him soldier boy, a, with your soldier boy or yeah. essentially making him a figure that you actually can't find and like that where they become deplorable and uninteresting. Yeah, he is, he's complex cause he is, um, he's not dislikable but he's he's got edge to him like mm -hmm. he has got like a realistic kind of like outdated look on things outdated look on relationships outdated look on um kind of like relationships in general mm. um and politically he's outdated like he's you can see he's clearly outdated in his views but he's not a caricature and i think yeah. i also found that interesting because it was it was basically like, yeah, it's a culture shock. Like he is mm. kind of shocked by, um, by kind of pr progress that, that he's suddenly whiplashed into, Yeah, but he's not, um, yeah, he's not a vicious caricature and, kind of a, of and a racist. I, guess, and I think across Ultimates 1 and 2, he does adapt. Yeah. It's while still, while still kill, keeping that yeah. kind of, cause he's still politically, if you remember there's uh, Ultimates 2, there's that whole stuff where he, uh, gets really angry with uh, Thor 
because Thor's kind of cussing out the American military, mm. <laughs> which is fair. <laughs> he's cussing it out, and then he's going over to beat him up, basically, because he's like, yeah, he's having a go at America, which is something, uh, validly having a go at America, because mm. um, it's after the whole Hulk incident's out. And I think it's one of those things where even when it changes, he does change. He's still, his political outlook's still the same. Yeah. He's still that kind of John McCain kind of, Oh, it's like because he was directly influenced by John McCain, again a, a veteran. Um, but is that kind of um, Republican that you had at the time? Mm. That kind of outlook where it's very much like you can't say anything bad about America or the or the army or anything like mm. that. Even though there's clearly a lot that you could have a go <laughs> at. So I think there is that kind of clear right wing like outlook that he has consistent, but he does adapt to the times. Mm. I do agree. Yeah. Like culturally. Yeah. So Captain America is eventually stopped by a giant man before he can escape entirely. Um, and then, then she learns that Nick Fury wasn't lying for him. Um, he goes to see his old friends and discovers his old ex fiance Gail is now married. Um, is now retired and married to his old friend Bucky. Um, Nick Fury takes him to a cemetery um, where he where he gets told about what's happened to all his family and all his relatives um he kind of laments every that everything he's ever loved is dead um until nick fury points out that there is one still what still one thing left which is america <laughs> <laughs> um at the neutra which is the, the shield kind of base um the world finally sees the ultimates assembled as one plus the first modern appearance of captain america is this the issue that ends with george bush I think so. Yeah. So, okay. So the two things I like the fact, and I think it's again, more difficult now because you're in terms of, which in some ways might make Captain America more interesting, but also might make it harder for him is that I like the fact that enough of his comp, like his fellow soldiers from world war two are still alive. Like it's 57 years, like these yeah, guys no, are in their seventies, maybe their eighties sort of sort of thing in a way that now, if you did a Captain America story, the majority of those people are going to be dead. Oh, they would all be dead. <laughs> you maybe have one or two, but yeah, I yeah. think that... Yeah. They'd all be like 100. Yeah. But what I really like is the George Bush bit, where it's just like... And again, we talked about it a little bit last week, or when we talked about Ultimate X-Men, with like both the fact that George Bush's daughter gets kidnapped mm. and Tony Blair starts a Sentinel fleet. Yeah. And I just like this thing where they're at this kind of like big gala dinner or whatever, and... You know, George Bush goes like, "Yo, what do you what do you think? Uh, what do you think of America, Captain? Is that cool or not?" And he goes, "Definitely cool, Mr. President." <laughs> yeah, I think I think for me, it's I also really like how um, we don't get any of that stuff we normally get in superhero, especially the first one, where you really get time to kind of see these new adaptations mm. of these characters because there isn't like someone plotting behind the scenes. We don't have inter like intercutting with like someone scheming or something yeah. because the threat is from the inside. We, we've already been established with the whole, everyone knows who the Hulk is. Mm. I think it's really interesting that the first few issues is they've not got much to do. He's like, Oh, wanting to bond with whoever's left, like any family that's left. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get to see and giant man trying to try out his stuff, you know, kept Tony Stark doing Tony Stark things. And I do really like the fact that there is a bit with, where he goes to see Bucky Barnes and then his ex-fiance is like, I can't see you right now. Like, yeah. it's how do I, how do you navigate this thing where, you know, you still look like exactly the same as when you did the day you left. 
but also that sort of thing of, but also I moved on. Like I went on with yeah. my life. Like, and I think that that's a really fun kind of thing to play around with. Oh no, I definitely agree. Um, yeah, just moving on. I think that this is, we start off kind of talking about, uh, for her birthday, actress Elizabeth Shannon goes on a scheduled shuttle launch with Tony Stark. Um, so it's really interesting. We, we get to see Tony Stark here. And I think my one criticism of uh, Ultimates and with the context of a lot of the ideas for Ultimates, I, I understand that there's some ideas uh, came from the, um, the pitch. There was quite a detailed pitch that mm. him and Grant Morrison did in the 90s to do with a reboot of Avengers 2099. Yeah. And the one which I wish got carried over was of Tony Stark. So Tony Stark um, in the 2099 pitch of Nobody nobody Knows, to- the idea that's the radically different ideas of these characters and interpretations. And one of them was Tony Stark being a kind of um, – Tony Hawk, Tony, Tony Hawk, Stephen, um, Hawking, Stephen Hawking, sorry, not Tony Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, um, not Tony Hawk at all. Uh, although that would be very 90s. Um, Stephen Hawkins having the whole thing where he is disabled and he, I think he was a quadriplegic or something. Mm. He has something where essentially he requires this suit to move Survive. and yeah. yeah, for his quality of living and, and everything. And I think that would have been interesting that underneath it, he's not this handsome, like kind of guy, you know, traditionally Western mm. uh, view of what a good looking person looks like. He's someone who is, you know, differently abled. He's disabled. He's, uh, and I found that really, really fascinating that this mm. would be someone who'd be desperate to make it. And it wouldn't just be to make a weapon. Yeah. But I think that, um, this one here is just, I mean, because otherwise it's kind of hard to do, right? I think the thing is, and I think Iron Man essentially is the character who doesn't change. Unless from, you do from, that. No, no, yeah. no. But from, from the mainstream Marvel, from the Marvel yeah. 616, so the main Marvel universe, two Ultimates, he's the one who probably, him, he probably changes the least because I also think he's a character that was already so tied to the military industrial complex. That's like true, he's a character yeah. you don't need to change a lot about to keep him to essentially keep his relevance to the kind of plot style and the idea, the ideas that have been played out with Ultimates. Yeah, I know, but it's just one of those things where they're all so different, but like in an interesting way, or there's an interesting mm. twist. So there's that whole, I love the whole thing with um, like Thor, where it's like, is this guy a schizophrenic patient who stole this gear? Yeah, there's some technology that gives him that... Or is he a belt Thor, which, yeah. the god of thunder? <laughs> yeah, which I love. That it's really, really interesting, and he's like quite, quite left wing with his politics. Mm. So he's also someone who's because you do need an outsider to, to yeah. kind of more basically go. Nah, this sucks. Like I don't want to <laughs> be part of this. You guys are just part of the military industrial complex. Mm. Um, but also at the same time, uh, you there's who else is like black widow there's the whole stuff with the twist with her in uh ultimates 2 yeah. with her being a secret agent like a spy which which has aged really well mm. russian spy and um you know all these ones even uh what's his name um hawkeye is kind of like a more of a soldier which yeah. i found interesting but they all have like, these interesting twists apart from tony stark mm. and i get what you mean but it's just like i remember the first time that i'm reading it yeah. it is something where i like I wish he had like just, just a twist. Just something, just just to kind of like give him just a little bit more. Other than just like, oh, he's got cancer, which kind of becomes a nothing. Yeah. Like it, you may as well, like you could have missed that line and it wouldn't have changed mm. anything. But anyway, um, moving on. So 
we kind of introduced to Tony Stark, you know, doing Tony Stark things. Um, he, he kind of like, uh, he gets interviewed asking how he can justify forming a team of superheroes when there's only been one super one supervillain attack in the US so far. So that's Magneto. Magneto, which which is an interesting The other one. point of interest is what's it called? I think it comes up a couple of times. And so the interviewer he's talking to is Larry King. Yeah. And was it Shannon, Shannon, Shannon Elizabeth is, she was in scary movie i think it's the only like she apparently she's like i guess like one of those kind of like actors from the kind of early 2000s and a lot of those kind of like yeah sex comedy sort of side of things scary movie um or not or american pie was the other big one that she was in and i think it, it's an interesting one to have a, again it dates this very yeah. very much to the early and same thing there's a bit with freddie prince jr later on but these things very who's fred in like the the scooby-doo yeah, movie he's been tons yeah but what i think it does do is while it dates it very specifically to 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 the early 2000s that's not a bad thing i think it, it hammers home this is the kind of climate this is sort of thing like this is the framework like you know tony stark is going on dates and stuff with the starlets from with you know these kind of like b movie kind of starlets all that sort of thing yeah it's kind because, of fun yeah because you know it just fits, it just kind of gives a kind of context and a, I guess a cultural picture of what this kind of looks like and how these characters fit in. And the same thing with Larry King. Of course, if you're a superhuman or you're in these sort of things, you know, you're the genius, like, billionaire, of course you're going on Larry King. Yeah. Like that sort of thing, like, it's like... Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I think it... I also think it's kind of fun. It's not mm. like it's dated with any of... Um, Particularly, we'll probably go into one panel, There's, but largely it's sexual politics. Is it like I'm talking about for the overall? It's fine. Mm. Uh, it's not aged badly with like depiction of terrorists or mm. or anything like some comic books um, from the time or anything, anything by Frank, Frank Miller. Frank Miller. <laughs> it's exactly what I was thinking about. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like if the extent of it being feeling dated, reading it in 2023 is it references some old stars. Mm. It's doing all right. Yeah. You know, you just need to Google it, it if just you're remind, a kid. It reminds me, I was, there's a hip hop podcast I used to listen to. And there was, there was a bit where they were talking about, um, when it's, it's really difficult when you get rappers like public enemy because records like public, because public enemy like has been a really consistently political group. But then some of like you go back to listen to some of the things and because like it's 1985 and it's one of those things you're like, ah, oh, it's not like a negative negative, but it is just a weird moment. If you're, like, if you're not thinking about this in the context of this is 30 years old, mm. that's a really kind of weird kind of thing to have to grapple with at times. Um, actually, it was 1989. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, I'm just joking. But um, the, so, yeah, so j just carrying on, he, Tony compares kind of the ultimate slash, you know, the ultimate says um, uh, buying insurance, superhero insurance. Um, in New York... Yeah, a little bit like how they justify having nuclear arms. Yeah. So again, that's which it's a deter It's the it's like a nuclear deterrent. Exactly. Um. So in in New York, Janet Pym helps uh, Steve Rogers adjust to the new world as they go shopping. However, they get they visit um, Rogers' old apartment and find it to be heavily vandalized just because of the way that everything's kind of changed. Mm. Um. Oh, yeah, what, what's fascinating, I think, here is they're, they're again laying the groundwork about what's the point of the Ultimates? They have nothing to fight. Yeah. I think that whole thing, like comparing it to insurance, comparing it to that. 
uh, which I found really interesting. But also like $50 billion insurance. <laughs> yeah, so here we go into kind of news coverage. Um, so Giant Man, while Betty Ross and and Bruce Banner discuss issues with their developing team and gaining new recruits, um, Nick Fury and Bruce Banner try to recruit the delusional Thor, so it's going into that that whole thing. I find what I find interesting here also is it's kind of kind of a meta thing as mm. well where the origin of uh the Avengers just like the origin of like the Justice Society back in the day. Mm-hmm. These are teams for the sake of being teams. Yeah. Like these a lot of these are C and D list heroes that they throw in because they don't really have anywhere else to put yeah. them. Uh, so I think it's fascinating the whole thing where they're basically like, we need to find someone to put in this team yeah. just to have a team, you know? Because it's um, I find I found that 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 really kind of like meta, mm. what, you know, meta context of the origin of the Avengers, like as a team, yeah, yeah. Uh, just to get another team. Um, so yeah, th- this this here. So we kind of so Thor kind of brings in that kind of out kind of outward outward looking in kind of perspective because he has no interest in joining a team that would fight to preserve the corrupt status quo. Uh, Realising they are wasting their time, Fury and Banner leave. Weeks pass and the Ultimates have a conversation uh, about who would play whom in the hypothetical Ultimates movie. Um, Banner loses it when Hank Pym insults him once again, just like everyone else. Um so Banner takes the soldier serum, injects it into himself, and turns into the Hulk. So I think the two things that I like about this, A, the movie scene, and I think, I guess it's while it's not in the movie casting scene, the thing they do talk about, there's one joke in either this issue or earlier this issue or the episode issue before, where they make a joke, obviously, about Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. when he was in his obviously pretty heavy, like, addicts kind of yeah. before he got clean. And it's one of those ones you sit and go like, it's just the those weird ones you sit and go like, oh, like this, these things kind of panned out eventually. Are these, like how these things yeah. pan out is that Robert Downey Jr. suddenly is playing Tony Stark. Which is quite Samuel funny. Samuel Jackson yeah. is playing Nick Fury. Um, I also think the thing I liked with the Hulk thing is that a lot of the, the Hulk and Bruce Banner's kind of characterization up to this point has been about his kind of on off again relationship with Betty Ross. And I think the, with the uh, the implication being that after he becomes the Hulk, Betty Ro- and Betty Ross is like because Betty Ross is the um, ultimate PR agent, like their media kind of manager, mm. and she's like, we we're going on a long term break. And what happens is is that we don't actually see Banner take the serum. We don't see him do that. He calls Betty Ross, who's on a date, and goes, um. I was feeling really insecure and jealous and um, I heard you going on a date and look, they're going to try shelve us. Like this project is hemorrhaging money. There are no threats. So what I did was I mixed some of Captain America's blood because now they have the super soldier serum. Mm -hmm. I mixed some of Captain America's blood with my Hulk serum and just like put it directly into my, into my bloodstream. Mm. He's like, I'm really sorry, but you probably need to leave New York like immediately. Yeah. And then that's the setup for the Hulk. Like. Yeah, which which I mean I love. I think this goes into that whole thing where they need to justify a little bit like um how the American military complex, you know, the American um they they basically need to justify the amount of spending mm. that the Senate give to military spending. Yeah. Um and all the basics like if you're not fighting any wars, and I think at the time 
um, there was that feeling. And if you look at, um, there's no other comparable countries. Mm. I mean, you look at the, probably the closest comparable world superpower is China. China's like military spending compared to GDP is a flat line. Yeah. It's very consistent. America's like just shoots up. <laughs> um, large percentage of the world's spending, like it, much of the world's military spending is by, by the Americans. And I think it's, it's fascinating that it's that kind of thing where they invent, you know, mm. you look in real life, invent um, weapons of mass destruction to justify the invasion. Yeah. Here it's like the threat again is made up by them. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because I think, because when we look at like the, ori the origins of the original Avengers, like the, the first Avengers issue, the Avengers come together because the Hulk goes on, because Loki tricks the Hulk into going on a rampage and the Avengers essentially form to fight the Hulk. Yeah. And then turns out that it's revealed that Loki is actually the threat and they all join forces to beat the shit out of Loki. And I think that's a pretty consistent one. Like that's, it happens in the Avengers movie, right? Yeah. But again, it's, it's, I like the fact that and like you said, it's this is the this is an internal decision. Like I think it's a way. And again, when we talk, we've talked about how the Ultimate Marvel has kind of drawn on those kind of those founding stories for a lot of these characters. And I think by but instead of like making it an external force that drives the Hulk, there's no external scheme, there's no external plot. It's Banner going, cool. You guys need something to fight. Yeah. And Miles, well, this is this is something I can do. And. Again, I think, but it's interesting because when we compare it to, like, like I said, weapons of mass destruction and a lot of the discourse around 9-11, and it comes up in later books as well, but th this is kind of almost like, this is in some ways like the foundation of like a 9-11 truth sort of thing, right? Like Hulk Hulk does this. It's that sort of thing of Hulk's, because Bruce Banner's now done this, if this ever comes out that he did this, what does that make the American public what's the reaction of the American public to this? Yeah, to... Because, yeah. you know, is that sort of thing of now does it become a sort of thing of is every superhuman threat manufactured? Yeah, see, I was more thinking rather than 9-11 truth is I was more thinking mm. about like coming out that essentially there is no weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. Yeah, that essentially, that, that as we know, there was the there was a very famous thing at the time with the um, the scans, uh, the, is it the uh, heat signatures... Uh, the fact that they kind of blocked access to to mm. them to go into, you know, there was all those people that tried to bring it forward from the UN. Yeah. They're trying to say, like, look, this isn't this isn't the truth. So yeah, I think I think that's true. Um, I, I think also there's the whole stuff with um, the way that they kept it so tight lipped, and there was like what they were doing when they were over there too, mm. um, like with uh, Edward Snowden. Uh, no, yeah. Edward Snowden was. Yeah, Edward Snowden, right? Was yeah. was he was he the surveillance? He was the surveillance. Um, Julian Assange, right? Julian Assange, yeah, yeah. So there's all that stuff with how they treat you know national secrets. Mm. So I found that really interesting. So I completely agree with you. There is that kind of like there is that secret that's behind, which is based in reality. There yeah. are secrets. Yeah, I guess the reason why I think it in my mind it's something that I guess while it's not necessarily like the comparable thing to like nine eleven truths, but I think the way I look at it is the impact of this because it's an attack on American soil. Mm. I guess that's the sort of thing where I guess it's it feels like, and I think we see this as we go through the later Ultimates books as well, how the truth about that kind of comes out. And I think maybe some, and I, I might be wrong, maybe some of the political blowback of this. And I think that's something that comes up in even later Ultimates books 
as well as this idea that so many of these superhuman threats are self-generated. So yeah. many things are self-generated. So it's that sort of thing of how do you trust this idea of the government's looking out for you or the ultimates are there to save you when the backing is shit. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So, so moving on to issue five. So after injecting the super soldier serum into his veins, Bruce Banner turns into the Hulk, um, but not like the original Hulk. So I think we don't ever really see mm. what the original Hulk looks like, but the implication is very much that this Hulk is significantly stronger, angrier, hungrier, <laughs> and so and hornier because yeah. We'll, we'll we'll discuss it in a moment because I feel like there's um, the ultimate set out to find and stop Hulk um, and Nick Fury says Thor will only help if the president uh, doubles the US's international aid budget um, as Hulk searches for his ex-girlfriend Betty and her date Freddie Prince Jr <laughs> um, ultimate uh, giant man comes in and essentially tries to stop him by covering him with his hand Hulk essentially just like it's not like he stops him. It's the whole just like punches through his hands and then punches him in the face and is about to um, uh, like decapitate him. Um, sorry, I just, okay, I'm going to talk about, I feel like, so the Hulk in Ultimates is like when, when we think of the Hulk usually, I think the MCU, MCU has an interesting journey of the Hulk where we very much get he's the angry and destructive Ultimates carries it through to, I think, probably some of the most logical yeah. endpoint of this is this idea that Hulk is entirely free of any of the inhibition. Like, is it, it's, it, I guess if you talk about Freud, Hulk is the id. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, also a, a comic book comparison is, of course, uh, Mr. Hyde. Uh, Alan, in Alan Moore's Legal Extraordinary Legal, Yeah, exactly. That whole thing where... He and I, I see. I liked this depiction because it's a little bit like the Hulk normally is exactly is just like kind of a bit angry and he's mm. strong, right? That's that's yeah. it. He, t I don't actually think the Hulk is normally unless you do something interesting with him. The base idea of the Hulk, I don't think, is very interesting. Yeah, I think he is kind of difficult because he's not that interesting. He's essentially he gets green and he he, he gets angry and he smashes things. Mm. And then sometimes they calm him down because he has a girlfriend or something. You know, like Black yeah. Widow. There's always this kind of point where suddenly something is the like hulk fights very rarely end with hulk being beaten to a pulp yeah hulk fights always something ends because someone manages to either get him away from the situation it's like it's never a fight you win it's always a fight you would get him away from everybody or summoning is done something is done to calm him down yeah and i like here that he's he's far more like no he is like you were talking about he is like the um from people he's that kind of like he's he's everything bad right it's everything mm. under the surface he's he is um bruce banner's like insecurities you know about about betty you know his rage because of his jealousy that just comes out mm. and he's trying to kill freddie prince jr right <laughs> that he's on a date she's on a date with um he's uh what else is he? he's kind of like he's angry but he's also like you know, there's that kind of like the the sexual stuff too that he is he's disgusting. Yeah, because it's one of these things where it's and, all well, the he's kind of gross. Like that. Yeah. that's the big thing is that Hulk, like the, they talk about how Hulk kills in this rampage kills over 800 people and cannibalizes many of them. 
because he's hungry. It's one of these things, yeah, he doesn't think of the consequences. And I think the, yeah, I think, yeah, the very comparable one is Mr. Hyde. And I think Alan Moore's Mr. Hyde really sums up, I think it's the same, the same idea where Mm. It, within Alan Moore's, Mr. Alan Moore's kind of depiction of Mr. Hyde, Dr. Jekyll is this kind of like wasting away kind of guy. And the idea is that Dr. Jekyll was so... And that, and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is the origin of the Hulk. Yeah. Like that is the direct literary reference that the Hulk draws from. And Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the implication is, is that in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is that... Where is that initially essentially Dr. Jekyll tries to suppress all these kind of negative thoughts and negative emotions and suppresses and just pushes them to the point where it creates this other persona and then and then to the extent where because he because then suddenly all the harm that he does and his the the freedom and all the stuff that the Mr. Hyde persona does creates more negative cause more kind of temptation creates more inhibition frees him from that inhibition Dr. Jekyll kind of doubles down on trying to suppress that which then makes Mr. Hyde more violent, more dangerous, more wild. And I think the same sort of thing comes up here is that like Bruce Banner is kind of like he's predicted he's he's not like a sympathetic figure, he's a pathetic figure. Yeah. Like it's very much the sort of thing where he's kind like he's kind of an incel in a little like he gives that that's the kind yeah. of vibe he is. He's this kind of little kind of disgusting kind of kind of guy. And it's like he's not being treated well by his ex girlfriend, but also it's him not dealing with it and he's now also got this like has already turned into the Hulk and then suddenly amplifying that means that like again he's got all that additional jealousy all that additional anger all that stuff on top of it that then magnifies what the Hulk is I do quite like also I like their relationship I like how horrible it is I like how Mm. it's aged well with him being an incel basically (laughs) but also I think that she's really horrible yeah like I like it. I like they're both really toxic and they're both really horrible. And I think that that's, that's interesting because normally it's not like their relationship isn't particularly interesting. Mm. Her dad is, you know, like, like Lois Lane is in the army and she, you know, wants to be with him, but he's angry or something. But it's like here, it's like an actual interesting thing where they, she is like quite disgusting <laughs> okay so moving from there um iron man then enters the fray um throwing hulk off giant man and then crashing him into the recently deserted grand central station uh with two battle um with hulk clicking the shit out of iron man um iron man manages to use his remaining power in his suit um to blast hulk into the streets where fury orders the wasp to bring hulk um to where captain america is and then so this is this is this is probably the one moment that i think hasn't aged yeah. Great, and essentially Wasp gets a Hulk's attention by flashing him, and it's just it's just one of those ones where I think it's it's tough because in obviously in the context obviously when we're talking about the Hulk and what it is like it is the lack of inhibition it is this kind of you created this monster that is purely driven by want and desire and just instinct. The problem is, is it kind of falls within this broader framework of how female characters are treated within comics, yeah. and I think that's, and it, and I think it's, it's a, it's a moment that just hasn't aged great no, in no, any in any stretch, and I think, but I think, but it, it's one of the things. Yeah, it, I think that's just the only thing to really say about it. it hasn't aged well. No, it, at least it's just it's one of those things. Like it's a little bit like what we were talking about with Jean. 
how that was just a kind of mm. one that was like it was like it was only like a few panels that we saw. It's like this one's just a panel where yeah. it's the only thing that kind of like saves it. Where it's a little bit like it doesn't. They don't go into it more. I guess I guess the the thing that I found with it is it goes into this idea of. And I think a lot of things like this in comics, it always comes down to this idea that comics are like this medium for young men. And you get a lot of, like I would say, haphazard, so the majority of comic book writers at this period in time are uh, male. And I think that's just, the, that is the problem of it, is that sort of thing of like, it's, it's just a weird moment that could come across a bit pervy because you know, because it kind of, it, I guess it, it hits all these kind of core assumptions, like male comic book writer mm. in a comic book that even for, for a lot of what we find is like quite nuanced and interesting political discussion still is in this book with this idea that this is for men or this yeah. is for young men or teenage boys, sort of side of thing. And therefore it, because it's still kind of constrained by that, then kind of overtly sexualizes the one female character not in the one female superhero character in this particular section of the book. No, I agree. I completely agree. I think that 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 panel hasn't aged well. Yeah. So building from the <laughs> following this, um, Wasp essentially starts chasing up. I think. Oh, that's the other thing I think with it is it's the difficulty of a character like Wasp in this in this context is that the Wasp power is that she can shrink down and blast and has these like energy bars that she can project. And I think it's then those really difficult ones where at this point in time in a fight like this with the Hulk, it does become a kind of, I could, it does become a sort of thing of, from a power standpoint, what does the Wasp actually contribute to this fight? And yeah. therefore, I feel like then it becomes a sort of thing of then this is, becomes an easy way to use her in this kind of, sequ in this kind of action sequence. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's a bit of a lack of imagination though. I think her power levels are probably equal to all the rest of them. I don't think the Avengers mm. are particularly powerful. I think it would be different if she was in the Justice League, right? Yeah. Next to Superman. But this one's next to Captain America, who is a bit yeah. strong. I guess is I guess the difference I think it's also because it's the Hulk as well. Like I think that's Yeah, true. But they're all kind of yeah, under leveled against the Hulk, I think. Yeah, so Captain America drops a tank on Hulk, um, and then essentially Kind of again, like sort of. Thing, I guess that's the sort of thing, right? Then Captain America actually kind of relatively well matches the Hulk, mm -hmm. um, and it tries to inject Hulk with a serum that will essentially transform him back to Banner. Um, but he, the needle, which is adamantium, which is the metal from Wolverine's bones, which is supposed to be unbreakable, um, breaks on Hulk's skin, and then um, right before Hulk's about to crush Captain America, I think he's about to eat Captain America as well. Yeah. Um, a huge bolt of lightning knocks the Hulk away and Nick Fury receives word that George Bush has in fact doubled the international aid budget for the US. Um, and then Thor essentially tries like, Thor enters the fray and, you know, like Thor does, Thor is always this character who's, you know, comparably the strongest character and, you know, beats the Hulk down several times and even that still does not work. Um, Hulk... Because of this, Captain America kind of like um, moves to his next plan, which is to use Betty Ross as bait to get him out of the city. Um, Hulk jumps towards her um, and lands on the helicopter. Um, however, Wasp is inside, in, inside, and I guess that's this is the flip of it, right? Wasp is inside his head, having flown into his ears, and uses um, her like biokinetic 
bioelectronic blasts on his brain to calm it down and essentially knock him out. Um, out of the dust comes Bruce Banner, who's kind of sitting there kind of naked and helpless. And he does this kind of lament. He does this sort of thing of like, you know, I this I did this for you guys. I did this because I know like like you needed someone to fight. You needed this. You needed something to justify the yeah. ultimates. And then Captain America's, you know, and this one's weak. Again, in this sort of thing, Captain America goes over and offers his hand and then kicks him in the head, knocks him out. Mm. And I just think it's one of those ones. Again, like in that sort of thing, you get that Captain America isn't this shining paragon of like liberty and goodness and justice. No, he's a fascist. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, he is. Like, um, I think, I think, yeah, it's quite interesting. I also like the implication here with Captain America is that they, even though you don't get him necessarily saying tactics, he is much more involved in the tactical aspects of this fight. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Like, you know, he, he's moving through these different plans. Like it's very much tone. Like it's very much giant man. Stop him. Cool. Iron Man. Try the wasp. Distract him. Yeah. And then obviously Thor joins the fray and Thor's kind of the wild card. But then Captain America is still kind of directing. He's still like, you know, he is a military commander. Like he's got that kind of experience. Mm, I think I think again and also it does prove that point where I was talking about like it depends how you use her I think mm. like going into his head was kind of what, exactly what I was thinking yeah um yeah I think I think that was interesting again I, just something I want to point out that I haven't mentioned um uh, just before we go into the last issue uh yeah I think it is also interesting talking about the whole political stuff that both writers what um Brian Hitch I believe is English mm. and uh, Mark Miller is Scottish, Scottish yeah. so it's interesting that they're both kind of looking from the outside at a lot of this. I also wonder if like, cause, and again, just reading bits of comic history, there is some stuff about after the post night, like post nine 11 about some of the Marvel editors and that sort of thing, probably being a bit hardline again, like, because I think that's just, that's just the military climate at the time. Like there was a list of banned songs before anti-American sentiment that came out, like rock the Casbah's on it. <laughs> like rock the Casbah was, was banned from certain radio, from a lot of radio stations because it anti-war sentiment. And I guess it's the sort of thing at one level, I can imagine that Marvel probably had quite a few editors that were very much like we, we do not, we can't touch these issues or we can't talk about these issues, especially from an American writer standpoint. I mm. wonder if there's a bit of leeway that Mark Miller and Brian Hitch get and, and the English and the English and Scottish writers get to discuss these and do these things because I, I don't know, is, is it seen as less anti-American? Would it, could it be seen as less anti-American? I think also they could be smart about it. I think mm. this is smart about this stuff. Yeah. Like I think that it's not, it's subtext. Yeah. It's not text. Like it's not like, um, who's a writer that I politically agree with. I politically agree with Tom Taylor, mm. but I think a lot of his stuff isn't subtext. It's text. Yeah. Um, and I think, I prefer subtext. I think it's more interesting. Mm-hmm. I prefer this writing here where there's a lot of stuff that's clearly comparable to the real world context and yeah. like very critical. Like this is very critical of the US and the US military oh, yeah. contract, <laughs> but it is still subtext. And I think it's a little bit like, uh, was it the Paul Verhoeven thing with, <laughs> um, with Starship Troopers mm. and how that was very anti-American, anti-American aggression, military aggression. Mm. But, it's that whole thing where the producers walk, walked on set, Neil Patrick Harris is dressed up basically as a Nazi <laughs> and and they go on set and like, oh yeah, cool. And then leave because they don't realize how anti, yeah. anti-American the film is, like anti-American military mm. the film is. Um, so I think it, it maybe there's a bit of that because it's not so obvious. So just, this just made me think what I really, I really want to see. 
like I know in Captain America the First Avenger they do the whole like training camp thing for the Super Soldier. I really want to see like a full metal jacket style Captain America origin movie. Yeah. Just imagine like the actual like again, an ultimate Captain America is the right is the what I can imagine that would have been like. Like I think it's you know, Captain America, the the Marvel version, that sort of thing, is very much like, oh, he's the Oh shucks. Yeah, you know, he's the nice he's really nice and he's lovely and you know, he cares a lot and the, the ultimate the, the end of it is very much like, you know, he's he's not a soldier, he's like so he's like a genuinely good person. Where this is just like I can imagine like it's more like he's just he is a soldier. Yeah. And but it's just the fact that it's like, okay, you have someone who has the drive and the willpower, but doesn't necessarily have the physical ability. And I just really want to see like a like a full metal jacket style Captain America movie. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, I think, so this issue here, as just going into mm. this issue here, this one's about kind of the aftermath. Yeah. Again, something that I found interesting, again, it's... Before we get into it, it's probably the only yeah. thing we need to say just ahead of it is just as a heads up, this is has a discussion around domestic violence. Yeah. So that's, that's probably the main, the main thing to go into before we jump into it. Um, yeah, 100%. I'll, again, I'll, I'll, put another, yeah. I'll put another warning just, just before we get into that paragraph. It's just right at the end. Um, and there will be like a little discussion about it, uh, but not too long. Um, yeah, so after the Hulk incident in Manhattan, everyone is, is trying to get things back to normal. Betty tells uh, Nick Fury that she feels bad. She feels a tad responsible about what happened. Um, since it was almost her fault uh, as she was the one who was kind of mean to Banner. Mm-hmm. Um, Betty has the press like hush up that the Hulk connection to Bruce Banner and the Ultimates then kind of gain reality afterwards. Uh, sorry, gain, gain popularity. popularity yeah. um, again, kind of, it's a little bit like that. Again, if we're doing MCU, the first Avengers movie where there's that weird like kind of scene where they're all talking about how much they love the Avengers yeah. in kind of the ground zero of everything <laughs> um but but here it's uh it's this bit so yeah thor thor has uh you know finally joined a team steve tony and thor kind of ha- go out and have dinner on the other side janet and hank were supposed to go out for dinner but an argument occurs and uh what crosses the line for hank is when janet insults hank that he's not smart and that even banner was a better man than he was uh hank answers this physically and just just as a warmy kind of he hits janet um mm. and who uh, and she fights back uh so this is kind of going on in the background it cuts between and here meanwhile we see th- at the dinner thor tells tony and steve why he's here um he is a god in, ma- in a man's body um and is here to purify the world from before modern technology uh bleeds it dry so yeah. I just thought, you know how I talk about in the Ultimate Spider-Man how Uncle Ben is like kind of insufferable because he's a hippie. Thor is kind of the same thing. He's just like, it's like he's a, he's obviously he's the left wing figure as the kind of thing as like the contrast to this, but he's also like a very kind of and it's weird because he is a god, so he's not human, but it's also a very kind of white kind of like like so, champagne socialist kind of vibe that I get from him in a lot of ways, but it's still like, he obviously has still has the power and the will to change it. But a lot of his thing is just very much, it's like you have this very blonde kind of white guy telling you like, oh, stop doing this, like, double the aid budget. And it's this sort of thing of like, he's an interesting figure, but I, I also like the fact the setup, like he's, 
the setup of that is that he's still like really fucking annoying. Yeah, and he also still goes to these parties yeah. and stuff. I think I think that that stuff is is interesting. I think they're mm. all they're all quite horrible, yeah. and I like that. I think they're all not nice. Mm. Like, all of them. I think Captain America is a fascist. I think Tony is insufferable. Uh, they're you know he's still Tony. They're mm. all insufferable. Um, like you know. Ant Man's awful. Like they're they're all they're all pretty horrible, and I think that is quite interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, and what to say? Hulk is obviously an incel. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so there's you know they talk about that rejects full membership of the Ultimates, but promises that he's going to help uh, when things are really bad. Uh, Tony gives Steve his old helmet from World War Two, and then exchange uh, kind of change the subject to why Tony is being a hero. Tony says that he has a tumor in his brain and only a few months to live. This doesn't really become a big plot point. It just gets brought up occasionally. Yeah, I th it's one of those ones, and I, I think it's because I do think, like I said, this, they don't quite know what to do with him because the implication is, is, you know, he does a lot of, you know, he's doing all these big expenses, you know, doing this, he's dating supermodels or like actresses in space. He's like giving shitloads of money to lots of different charities. But it, again, it comes down to, it does come down to this idea of like, it's the guy, you know, the billionaire, the, the arms dealer who's trying to make good before he dies. But I don't think he does. Like, I think I'm pretty sure Iron Man survives all 15 years of the ultimate. So it's one of no, those, he does, yeah. it's one of those pop points. It's just like, okay, I would it have been stronger if at some point someone's like, okay, we kill Iron Man now. Yeah, I, I agree. Or maybe in the middle of a battle, mm. he just has a hemorrhage. Yeah. He just dies, which would be kind of, <laughs> which would be kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the end of the meal, the three heroes toast to Hank, Janet, and Bruce Banner. Um, here, just just as a warning, we get we're getting into this, this is probably where it. So, the Hanks for the context of this, like the Hank and Janet Pym stuff, is one of these kind of really deeply held, controversial comic moments. And so it comes back to it goes back to I want to say it's Avengers two thirteen or two hundred thirteen, and the sub the background of it is that. I think it was like Jim Shooter when he was looking at this issue when he who was the editor at Marvel at the time. The implication was is that Hank Pym in this is in the mainline Marvel universe, and probably back in the sixties, maybe the early seventies. I think it's even the eighties. Oh, was it? Shit. Okay, but yeah. So, yeah. but in in this point in time, the implication is that Hank Pym has developed. He, the end has been exposed to some kind of chemicals and he's developed schizophrenia or kind of like manic depression essentially. And it's kind of been retconned that he is a manic depressive or, or he's got bipolar disorder. Mm. And the problem is, is that Jim Shooter originally has this idea of this panel where he, you know, he's going through this episode and like throws his hands up and accidentally hits Janet, hits the wasp. However, what actually got put out there is that he orders a robot to attack her and then slaps her like fully. Like there's no kind of, yeah, there's no, and it's been one of these really difficult panels because it, in some ways it's made Hank Pym a very difficult figure to use. So when we think about for the MCU, right? The reason they went with Paul Rudd as Scott Lang is because it would have been, re I think in the background, I think a lot of people would have found it really difficult to, because this panel and this page, this one this single panel is so defining to this character that I don't think you could adapt it in a way that doesn't address it. Mm. 
adapt Hank Pym in a way that doesn't address it. So that's why they scale back Hank Pym, like Michael Douglas as Hank Pym. They scale back his involvement because you just can't otherwise because it's because I don't think they want to grapple with it. Yeah. So yeah, and, I think I think here specifically, I'll just yeah yeah, just, through, yeah. I'll just get into like finish this because this bit here. So the the fight gets quite ugly. Um, Janet shrinks into a wasp side to evade her husband. However, Hank grabs bug spray, so he sprays her with bug spray. While she's hiding and she and you know trying to hide from him, he puts on his ant helmet, Ant Man helmet, and engulfs her with ants. Essentially, um, soon Hank sits on the floor, realizing what he has done. I think what I found interesting here, I think that Hank Pym is a character that has had that there is a history of family violence mm. in the past, and I think that it's really interesting how it's also not brought up a hell of a lot. I know that we'd say it's defining. But I don't mm. think it's as defining, say, as I think there's more discourse, for example, about Deathstroke, right? Mm. Deathstroke and, you know, that uh, the whole stuff with Judas Contract, which happened again a long time ago, but is kind of like not been in canon for a long time. Mm. And I think it's interesting that because I think that, that family violence, family violence is such a like an awful thing that, that happens in real life. Right. It happens a lot it's a societal issue that that there's um there's a lot of research to go into it but but it's one of those things where i think that it is a it's a real issue and it's one of mm. these things where it is ugly and family violence is often it's, it's a lot more prevalent than a lot of people realize i think mm. and it's also it is a serious issue and i like how in this issue here it is it's horrible like it's really horrible to read mm. i think i'm i'm glad that it's really horrible to read yeah i th i guess the thing that comes up with it as well is and i i think part of, and it's one of the things i've noticed in the discourse around the the main that the main canon marvel canon discussions around this thing is it's i think part of it is the fallout of the johnny Depp and amber heard case where a yeah. lot more people talk about well if you look at a lot of the avengers comics before that point oh Janet was really horrible to Hank as well. And it becomes that sort of like justification point for me like, well, and I, I actually think in the same way that this actually handles both incidents of these quite well, where the same thing, we see that kind of toxic relationship play out with Betty and Bruce. Yeah. In a way that like kind of showcases the toxicity of it. And yeah. whereas in a way that, whereas this, like there is still that kind of like, they kind of, there's the back and forth, but it is like very clear, like the power dynamic in this. Yeah. And it's, and again, and it's not just, and it isn't just like the, and like the, the raid bit, like she played the bug spray bit is horrific. Yeah. But also there's all that, the verbal abuse that goes alongside it. There's all the stuff. And it's, I think it's a much more clear cut way in which, in, in which to showcase this, that actually does obviously depict something horrible but I guess show the reality of some of those situations, right? And I guess show the power dynamics that are at play in those situations. I do think that also they do a very good job of, I think that the other one as well is mm. less of a kind of a family violence situation there. Yeah. I think that one's more of a toxic relationship, which I think mm. is interesting that it's a back and forth as in one's making him jealous and the other one's kind of reacting or the other one's trying to make her jealous. You know, yeah. there's that kind of stuff, which is different to this here where yeah, like you were talking about, there is the power dynamics. And I think that it is, it's a little bit like when they have, you know, the R word, the, if mm. they have that in films or in things, if yeah. you do that, 
it needs to be horrible, right? This needs yeah. to have a lasting impact. And also I like how there's no, he's horrible and throughout mm. the whole of Ultimates from this point on, even beforehand, he was not shown in the best light, but he's not forgiven. He has a kind of like arc where you see him a little bit, but he's not, he's never at any point forgiven for his actions. Yeah. He's consistently portrayed as a bad person. And mm. I think that's, that's really interesting. Mm. And I think that she's also not shown as, as, as the perpetrator, as you were talking about, yeah. she's not shown as anything. And I think yeah. the other interesting thing with this is this sort of thing. And it comes down, I think there's a section in here where she talks about how her powers, and I think it's one of the, and it's implied and it's revealed later that Wasp is a mutant. It's in the same. And, and yeah. that's the thing that comes up here is that he talks about, she talks about how her powers are what enabled Hank to crack his ability, like his technology. Yeah. And again, it's that point in time. So I think it's that sort of, and again, it's that point in time of, again, you just see this kind of, I don't know, it just adds that additional bit of that power dynamic because obviously mutants within this kind of context are this kind of specifically hated group. And that's that kind of thing of being yeah. like, you know, that's, again, that's a power, that's that's another aspect to this power imbalance. He has the one thing that would have her, like, you know, they talk about an Ultimate X-Men, ha could have her executed. Yeah. Like, just murdered. <laughs> I think it's fascinating. Um, yeah, and, and just, to f just to finish, I think, with the, with the kind of MCU context, mm. I think this does it well with putting the X-Men before the Avengers. I think it's near impossible doing it the other way. Mm. I think here... It you know it shows that, that there is that kind of like there is that secret mutant on the team. Yeah. So it is it directly referenced the kind of racism or or whatever like mm. against the kind of persecution of mutants and the fact that they really need to distance themselves from yeah. it. And I think that it's a really smart way of having the X Men in this universe with the yeah. with the Avengers or Ultimates or whatever. And yeah, I guess and I think I guess my concluding thought from on that kind of point is like what I find between this version is that it is very much, like you said, it's much more clear cut than the mainline Marvel version. I think yeah. to the point now where like Hank Pym has kind of been written out of continuity or written, not necessarily out of continuity, but he's been, he hasn't been used as a character Hank in Pym? Hank Pym in, um, in main Marvel in the main. Oh really? He hasn't been used as a character in quite a few years. That's so interesting. Because I think, there was an event called Secret Empire that essentially brought up this brought up this point very heavily and very deliberately. And again, it's one of those weird ones where a lot of people seem to really hate that they how they addressed it because I think a lot of people talk about oh no he was in the middle of this mental crisis he was going through this and then why is no one forgivable why is there no redemption for him but I think I'm not saying there couldn't be a redemption but I also think there's a point in time of like if you're going to address this specific part of the character that is so defining. And I think, like I said, with Ultimates, it kind of shapes how the character goes from here on out. Yeah. And I think that is kind of the way in which you have to do it. And I think sometimes, I think it's quite hard from a mainline Marvel Universe story to tell stories about Hank Pym that are, he's like a morally yeah. good hero again. <laughs> no, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. All right, I guess before we kind of wrap up, are there any kind of concluding thoughts? Like, I guess, like, ultimately, like, I think, ultimately, <laughs> um, ultimately, I think this has been, like, a, like I said, I think it's probably been one of the strongest, it is probably so far the strongest book yep. we've covered, and I, I, I love it, and going back over it was just 
a real fun one. And I think, Lisa, I like the fact that no character is particularly nice. No, I think that <laughs> I, I also love that we've got so much more to say, but we have opportunities to say it. We have more episodes on mm. Ultimates with new with other volumes. Um, I think it's something where, where essentially I think I wish that this was the movie yeah. instead of Avengers. I know people love the MCU, but I think that it's grounded enough and it's uh, an interesting take. I always feel that the kind of X-Men route that they did where mm. you kind of have it a little bit grounded and you kind of change things yeah. because I think it works better on screen personally. Yeah. Um, and I think that this like reads, I read this and I go, this would make a big movie. And I don't think a lot of comic books mm. do that. There's also, and I guess it's a sort of thing I, I forgot, but they made two animated movies inspired by ultimates really that's called ultimate avengers and i i remember watching vaguely in high school i don't remember if they were good or not but again in terms of adaptation there at least we've got some kind of like non-comic adaptation that we can have a look at at some point oh, we, might, we, yeah, we, we could do them as like an, like do it as an, like an end of year special or something like that just be like we're gonna watch yeah have a watch through and then, okay yeah that sounds like one um set up watch party <laughs> so i think for the next um, next episodes, we next episodes. I'm thinking we're probably going to go back and go through Ultimate Spider Man. Makes sense again, yeah. and we'll go we'll go through and do cover the second story arcs of every book of all the four all the all four Ultimates books. Then we'll come to Ultimates Volume Two. Uh, Ultimates Volume Two. Um, there was a bit of a I guess it's just a, just for um, I guess the clarification. I guess transparency. Like, I guess how we're looking at it is that. We want to just, I guess, not. We could. We were thinking we could cover Ultimates Volume One and Two back to back, but we also thought, is it better to give it a bit more space, let it breathe, and then, you know, because you know we're still starting out with this. Like, is it going to be better if we are we going to have more to say or better ways to approach some of these topics and approach some of our discussions? Um, you know, if we approach this, you know, five six episodes down the track, mm. and I think we're going to do, and we probably won't come to Ultimates Two for a while just because I think we want to kind of give some of that oh, 100%. that kind of space to kind of develop and grow as podcasters as well. <laughs> no, I agree. I think, I think that's, a, that's a good idea. Um, so we'll see, see you guys next time yeah. on uh, Ultimate, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 2, right? Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 2, yeah. yeah. And it should, be, it should be good. I have no idea what it's about. So. Yeah, I was about to ask you. I was like, what, what arc? Is I, it any moloids? I have no... No moloids, oh, sadly. I don't, don't um, read it now. <laughs> So thank you for tuning in to Ultimate. Um, or even your host, Eddie and Henry. Um, check out the podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. We're looking we're streaming on Spotify and Apple Music and on Wellington Access Radio as well. That's where we, like, we're lucky enough to have the recording studio to use. Um, yeah, so check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and again, I'm, I'm still trying to get together our like marketing and logos and all that sort of stuff. So we will post that up. Um, when we come to it and hopefully yeah looking forward to kind of checking out Ultimate Spider-Man next week <laughs> yeah sounds good watch for more Lloyds yeah, alright catch us later peace <laughs>